everyone, this is Athena Bellis and you're listening to the Teen Screen Feminism Podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 4. If this is the first time you're tuning in, I really recommend going back and starting at Episode 1 because this is really a journey through film history and this week we're landing ourselves right at the tail end of the 1950s. Just a quick note on today's episode. The podcast today discusses abortion and pregnancy. Issues related to sexual abuse are very briefly mentioned. And while none of these topics are discussed in explicit detail, listener discretion is advised, and spoilers for the films under discussion also abound. So today we're moving on from the 1940s where we left off in the last episode where we were looking at the miracle of Morgan's Creek and into the late 1950s. And the 50s are an interesting period in Hollywood because in 1956, the production code, which we've been talking about the last few episodes, was changed to allow for some representation of abortion as subject matter in movies, but still in quite a regulated and limited way. And the film we're going to look at this week to think about this is called Blue Denim, and it's a really interesting case study. Based on a 1958 play written by James Hurley, the film was released quite quickly, just the following year after the production of the play, and the film was directed by Philip Dunn for 20th Century Fox. And while the movie sensationalises the topic of premarital sex and abortion with advertising taglines like the lost innocence and the rude awakening to what they had done, it also circles back to condemn the very thing that it banks on. The film centres on the story of a young couple, Janet and Arthur, and after having sex for the first time, Janet falls pregnant And Arthur takes it upon himself to find a doctor who can perform an abortion for her. The two characters are really ambivalent about their decision to do this. And they have a friend who repeatedly berates them, tells them that it's murder, tells them that it's illegal to do this. But even in the face of all this, Arthur raises the money that he needs to find a doctor And then Janet reluctantly allows herself to be blindfolded by a strange woman and taken off somewhere all by herself to a secret, very sleazy location for this procedure. But just in the nick of time, right before it can happen, Janet and Arthur's parents discover the plan and they arrive at the doctor's office. Let's go. Interestingly, this is different from the plot of the play which sees Janet actually following through with her abortion. But in the film, after Janet keeps the pregnancy, she decides to move away to her aunt's house for the duration of her pregnancy so that she can hide her condition, uh, shameful as it is, and then give the baby up for adoption. 
But Arthur learns of this plan and finds her on the train on the way to the aunt's house. And they embrace and the audience knows that they are going to get married and raise this child together. So while the movie does in fact deal with the subject matter of abortion and teen pregnancy a little bit more plainly than the previous examples discussed so far this season, it can only approve of a deeply conservative resolution to this narrative, to the young woman's pregnancy. Nina Leibman writes that Hollywood had, and this is a direct quote from Leibman, a conservative agenda in the treatment of controversial issues, end quote. So in making movies about controversial topics, there was a recognition that that was really good for business, economically speaking, because it got people into the cinema, but it could also be financially risky if it's taken too far and alienates people ethically. Blue Denim is so interesting. It doesn't even contain the word abortion or even the word pregnant, even though that is literally all this entire film is about. The closest we get are references to doctors and sort of vague allusions to surgeries and broken off sentences and dramatic facial expressions that allow the viewer to infer meaning rather than the film actually having to say anything. And this is consistent with other examples we've looked at so far in the podcast where pregnancy and abortion are both deemed these unspeakable things, so taboo that they can't even be mentioned by name. And the avoidance of these words is actually quite funny, I think, given that the ads for Blue Denim state, Blue Denim says things no motion picture has ever said before. So it says some things, but uh, certainly not quite enough, I don't think. Like The Road to Ruin, which we looked at way back in episode two, there's quite a strongly educational focus in this movie both for young audiences and for parents as well. The parents in Blue Denim are shown to be really out of touch with their children who are shown to be in crisis. And the parents have to learn the hard way that they need to be more attentive and perhaps even more controlling, particularly on the part of the fathers. That's something that both of the fathers in the film realise that they really have to not only be tuned in, but also have a degree of control over their children's lives. Throughout the movie, Arthur tries to talk to his parents about his problems, but they're really busy and they're wrapped up in their own dramas that they miss the opportunity to hear about what's going on with their son. And so they learn the hard way. In addition to providing lessons for parents, The movie is also really focused on providing a lesson in morality and rationality for young people. Ads for the film declare that it talks heart to heart with young America about the consequences of being a kid in trouble. The movie also seems to reflect some of the trends in theories about adolescent psychology from this particular time that talked a lot about teen pregnancy in terms of children having children. You might have heard that phrase before, but my research showed that it was particularly popularized around this time. In line with this, Ofra Kaufman notes that during that period of the mid to late 1950s, psychological theories tended to see young people, especially teenage girls, as immature. And this immaturity 
could be potentially harmful to the development of a baby or a small child on the level of their emotions, their mental state, and also their psychological state. There are many instances in this film of characters lamenting Arthur's future prospects and all the exciting things that he's going to miss out on if he becomes a teen dad. The scene where Arthur and Janet realise she's pregnant is intercut with images of other teenagers laughing and dancing at a party without a care in the world. The film seems to say, well, you could either be one of these joyful young people with their futures laid out before them if you make the right choices and only if you make the right choices, or you could make wrong choices and find yourself at a dead end before your life has even really begun. So very much like earlier examples we've discussed in the other episodes of the podcast so far, this really does feel like a cautionary tale, an educational and moralistic story designed to scare young people off the wrong path of life. Sex itself is also not shown in a positive light at all. Janet and Arthur start asking each other if they have done things, and that's a direct quote, with other people. And so they're not using the word sex, but it's clear what they're talking about when they're asking each other if they have done things with other people. Janet says that there have been times where she nearly did, but she says, whenever it starts, I get scared or disgusted. Already here, there's a sense that something's wrong. It's disgusting and certainly not a sense that it's pleasurable. Arthur and Janet spy on Arthur's sister, who's passionately kissing her fiancé after coming home from their date. They're wide-eyed with fascination, perhaps arousal, and Janet looks away guiltily, saying that they shouldn't be watching this. Again, here there's a sense that desire is taboo and wrong and something that's shameful. After this, when the two go inside and descend into Arthur's basement, the visuals also give a feeling that everything is very wrong here. It's really dark. The basement is dirty and cluttered. It's hardly a romantic image of sex. And actually, it's somewhat unsettling and eerie to put a sex scene, or the suggestion of a sex scene, I should say, in this space. The scene fades to black as they kiss, and that use of the ellipsis signals to us that they have slept together. And the use of the fade to black is, as I'm sure you know, a really common indicator of sex that something has happened between those two images when we fade to black. In the very next scene at a school party, Janet is obviously very upset. She suspects and confirms that she is in fact pregnant by sneaking away to the library to look up pregnancy symptoms. Arthur finds her there and she tearfully says, but they don't tell you how to stop it. And a couple of minutes later, she says, I feel so ashamed. Sex is shown to be unappealing, something that leads to only bad outcomes and negative feelings. It shouldn't be had, the film seems to warn, because it leads to disaster and pain for young people. Amanda Litauer writes that according to census data, premarital pregnancies more than doubled between the early 1940s and the late 50s which historian Alan Petigny says indicates a rapid increase in premarital sex during this period. And of course, while this led to an increase in unmarried people giving birth and becoming parents, 
It also inevitably led to a rise in abortion rates. As Nina Leidman tells us in her fascinating article about blue denim and its historical context, abortion was on the one hand being made safer through a range of very important medical developments, but it was also heavily legally restricted. For instance, pregnancies that were threatening to the life of the parent or in cases of rape and incest. These restrictions inevitably drove many people to back-alley abortions, just like the character of Janet in Blue Denim. In relation to that context, Leibman writes that the movie, and this is a direct quote, is the product of the patriarchally inscribed 1950s, when all family melodramas were written as male ascensions into adulthood. And indeed, as she points out, the movie makes everything about Arthur, completely sidelines Janet's character development and her feelings about her pregnancy and what it might mean for her future. Instead, we learn all about how Arthur feels, what he wants to do about it, and how and when what he wants will take place. There's also quite a lot of talk amongst the adult characters about how the pregnancy is going to affect Arthur's future career, his education, his financial stability, but there is no equivalent thought given to Janet. I'm to say he'll do anything for Janet. Just anything to make up for... Well, they'll have to get married, of course. Arthur will quit school and get a job. Oh, Malcolm, will he have to give up school? More than just school, Jesse. A lot more. He wanted to be an engineer. Or a lawyer. He can't now. He won't have time. These kids... They put themselves in a sort of straitjacket for the rest of their lives. And as Robert Ward writes in his analysis of the play, and this is a direct quote, where underage sex affirms Arthur's transition from adolescence to manhood, a fact reinforced by the father's man-to-man talk at the end of the play, it serves only to reduce Janet to the status of a juvenile delinquent, end quote. And actually, for girls during that period, juvenile delinquency was almost always categorically linked to sexuality, whereas for boys, juvenile delinquency was predominantly linked to property-related offences like stealing. In fact, Litauer documents the ways in which sexually active girls in the 1950s still faced punitive state intervention, even as social mores were shifting to be more liberal and accepting of premarital sex as a part of life. She writes that in at least 35 states of the US, premarital intercourse was illegal even for adults. By virtue of their youth, sexually active juvenile girls qualified as criminally delinquent in every state. End quote. And we have to keep in mind that this is particularly true for girls of color and poor girls, as white middle-class girls could be shielded from state punishment through access to their racialized and classed privilege. Additionally, girls on probation could only escape their status as wards of the state through marriage. So we can see how marriage becomes this way of keeping girls in line. And we can also see the ways in which marriage was a way of absolving girls of their so-called criminality, their juvenile delinquency. It's really interesting following on this idea of the girl as a juvenile delinquent and how that gets attached to sexuality for girls, that in Blue Denim, 
it's Janet who is positioned as the one who is pushing for sex. It's not Arthur at all. And she repeatedly takes the blame for their sexual encounter and the resultant pregnancy. And at one point, he says that, you know, he should have stopped it. In other words, he should have stopped what Janet started. So in many ways, there's a real sense that it's the girl who is this kind of temptress. She is the one with the inappropriate desires. She is the one who leads the boy astray. And as such, you get the sense in this film that Janet had too much agency, too much freedom, so that when the agency is taken away from her, the viewer is positioned to see that as an appropriate measure, perhaps to punish her or perhaps to rehabilitate her into once again being a so-called good girl, in this case, married and hidden away from public view for the duration of her pregnancy. And while we don't see Janet punished through legal intervention, we nevertheless witness the paternalistic power exercised over her by a range of boys and men who hold structural power over her. Her father, for instance, and also Arthur, and Arthur's dad as well. Immediately, once Janet falls pregnant, all of her choices are basically taken away from her, and Arthur and the two fathers take charge. The film, as Leibman puts it, rearticulates abortion as a choice for men. And as Robert Ward writes, the decision seems to be taken out of Janet's hands by Arthur. He shows up and removes her from the doctor's office because this is what he wants to do and simply assumes that because he wants it, she does too. And then again, he does the same thing. He shows up on the train as she's leaving for her aunt's country house because he wants to and assumes that when he says we're getting married, that that's what she also wants to do. The choices are not hers. And what I find particularly difficult is that the film does not present any of that as troubling. In fact, I think it presents it as reassuring. So while Blue Denim announces itself as a movie that is starting some sort of open conversation about this topic of teen pregnancy, and abortion, it also places a range of very strict limits on it. And actually, as you might note, follows very similar patterns to films previously discussed on the podcast so far from the 1910s, 20s, 30s, and 40s. How much changed? I don't know. Be interested to hear from you about your opinion on that. So please do write to me if you have a thought about that. Next time we come together, oh, I'm so excited because we're skipping ahead to the 1970s and we're going to be looking at horror, which is a real favourite genre of mine. We're going to be looking at how teen pregnancy gets represented in horror movies of the 1970s, particularly through a discussion of the film Black Christmas. So it's going to be an entirely different approach to the topic. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow the podcast on Instagram. The Instagram handle is at teenscreenfem. This episode was researched, written and presented by me, Athena Bellis, and it was edited by the magnificent, glorious, wonderful Claire Gorn. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Teen Screen Feminism Podcast, and I do hope that you'll join me next time.